0: here this morning. I trust everybody had a good Thanksgiving. You yeah. know, everybody found that bigger pair of pants you keep in the back of the closet for an occasion like this weekend, right? Um what's that? Maternity pants. <laughs> they don't make those for men, but it would be cool if they did, you know. Have that panel that comes out around the front. You just kind of elastic it out there, right? Uh, that, might be a, that might be a marketing idea, right? Yeah, of course, everybody's got their Dunlop, right? The part that has Dunlopped over their top of their pants. Um, why men can a lot of times still fit into the pants they wore when they were in high school, right? Because the part that hangs over the, the edge, you know, is bigger, but the waist is still the same size. So, anyway, um, th- Thanksgiving at our house was a lot of fun. Um, we had, uh, I-, I had to really fight to stay out of this stuff because I was, tr- I'm trying to have my body shape go in a different direction than round. And, um, and there were seven pies for a total of 14 people. <laughs> and I went, I think we have enough you know um but of course everybody had to have their thing right and there was some of that green goop with the with the pistachio stuff and the marshmallows and cherries and whatever in it yeah you know? um maybe that's just the thing at my house but anyway um we had a great time we got out among the crowds on uh, black friday at five in the morning and you know you gotta enjoy that <laughs> Hey, they have they have great deals at Dick's Sporting Goods on Black Friday. <laughs> they really do. <laughs> okay. And yes, in fact, we did go there. Um, but uh um, a lot of enjoyable fun and a lot of uh, a lot of great a lot of great time uh certainly that we had, and we're glad to be back uh back home in uh, in Chile and with all of you. A lot of things for which we should justly praise God, amen. Uh and uh, his mercies have never ceased for us, and his love for us never fails. And, and we, we've had, uh, I'm sure all of us, a lot of ups and downs over the course of the year. But, but at the end of the year, you look back and you, know, you go, you know what? Life is good, and we serve a good God who loves us and who is merciful to us. Uh, I want to uh, draw your attention if you're a high school student or a junior high student. Uh, this week is the last week to turn in your money if you want to go with us up to Timberley in East Troy, Wisconsin. Uh, that is an EFCA camp, and, um, and it is a, it's an awesome opportunity to have, have, a, we have chapel a couple of times a day uh, where we open up God's Word together and see what, uh, what the Lord has to say to us. Uh there's uh, pretty pretty nice accommodations that are there. I've actually been there and seen the cabins and so forth. The food is spectacular. Uh there's also a lot to do, uh particularly if you like winter type activities. There's uh snowshoeing and ice skating and toboggan runs and this kind of stuff, right? It's a good time. And uh, we've discounted the price for you down to thirty-eight dollars per student. If you'd like to, to go, we as a ministry are covering part of the cost, but like each of you to have some skin in the game, and so um, $38 per student. Uh, there's a junior high week and a senior high week. Uh, we're trying to um, establish separate activities for both our junior high and senior senior high students, and there's different speakers on each of those weeks. So if you're interested in going, Put some money in my hot little hand by Wednesday of this week, because I have to call them and get them paid, um, and and get us a uh, get us a firm number turned in for that. Okay, or uh, see Karen. Karen, shoot your hand up, and um, and see either me or Karen, and we'll get you a reservation to go on on one of those weeks. All right. Uh, this week we're looking at Genesis chapter forty-eight. Uh, It's the second chapter in which uh, Jacob is passing from the scene. Uh, The book of Genesis spends about three chapters actually on on Jacob kind of getting his affairs in order here at the end. Uh, And he actually uh, will see his death uh, next week in chapter 49 as we're wrapping up the book. But this is the second chapter, and he is beginning to plan for his death and to put all of his affairs in order. And he's now a very old man. Of 147, uh, and so he knows that he is not long for this world, and it's time to put his house in order and to ensure that he has left behind a legacy for his sons and his grandsons. And one of the one of the major orders of business that he needs to complete before he dies is the selection of who will be the chosen firstborn son. And with that selection comes both a double share of the father's inheritance, uh, but, and that's, you know, that's, the, uh, that's the birthright, if you will, that as the firstborn son you were entitled to two shares of the father's estate, but in addition to that, also the blessing of your father. Remember that Jacob, uh, in his own life, had a kind of a contentious process by which he became, though he was the younger son, he received the, the blessing and the birthright from his older brother, Esau. He skinned him out of his birthright over a pot of stew and then got his blessing also through trickery, by dressing up as his brother, right? And so Jacob has an understanding of how important this is, but now it's, he is in the position of his father, Isaac, and he can no longer see and he's going to have to pass on the blessing and the birthright to one of his sons. And no oldest son in three generations of this family has, in fact, received the birthright and the blessing uh, as simply the firstborn oldest boy. It's always a person who is selected within that family to to be the oldest and to to have the family leadership, and the birthright, and the blessing. And so Jacob is not going to choose his oldest son, Reuben. And we'll see why next week. Uh, And it's not simply a matter of who's going to get the biggest chunk of stuff. Because some of you probably are thinking, well, big deal. You know, so he gets a little more stuff. That's not really the issue. It's also the issue of who is going to be the conduit through which The covenant blessings of God are going to come on the rest of the nation. So this is an important process. Um, Genesis chapter 48, let's look at it. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. And as for me, when I came to Padan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. Now, Jacob is old and he's ill. Those two things do tend to go together as our health declines. We can no longer fight off sickness, right? We hit our peak somewhere around 19, and it's kind of downhill from there, right? Either slowly or speedily, as the case might be. But he's now 147, and he's ill. And so his his son Joseph hears that he's sick, and he goes to visit the old man and to be with him on his sickbed. And he takes his two boys with him, and notice how they're listed. Manasseh, the firstborn, and Ephraim. And as they're sitting there, they really there's no indication in the early verses of the text of what's about to happen. And Joseph and his sons, I think, are just going, essentially, to see the old man who is sick. Just like any good son or grandson should go and see their father or mother, grandma or grandfather. Uh, If they're in the hospital, right? Um, And since someone has to tell Jacob who is in the room, I think it's, you know, you see later that he can't see. You read that actually in the text. Somebody has to tell him who's here. He probably can't hear very well either. You know, I don't know how well I will hear at 147. Uh, Probably won't live that long. But most of us, you know, Certainly, if I have another 50 years of shotgun blasts like the, few last, uh, the last 39, I won't be able to hear it all by then. Uh, but in any case, you know, he has, they have to be told, Hey, your son and your grandsons are here. And as soon as he gets there, Jacob starts talking about his own relationship with God. And he says, Look here. He says, the God God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. Remember when that was? He's on the run from Esau. Esau and Jacob and uh, Isaac and Rebekah are all living down at Beersheba, down at the city of the seven wells. And and Jacob skins his brother out of his, uh, out of his blessing, and he has to run for his life because uh, Esau is consoling himself with the thought that when the old man dies, I'm going to cut your throat, bud. And Rebecca, his mother, tells him, you better get out of Dodge. And you better go up to my uncle Laban and, uh, and live there for a while until your brother cools off. And we'll tell your dad that, that you're leaving to go get a wife for yourself from the from my relatives up there and this will work out, right? Well, as he's on the way, he stops by this place called Luz, and he lays his head down on a rock, which is a sure sign you're living well, right? You've got a rock for a pillow. And, he, and while he's sleeping there, he has this vision, remember? The angels descending and descending from heaven with God at the top of this stairway or this ladder, depending on your translation, um, and, and he says, surely this place is the place where God dwells. And he calls it Bethel, the house of God. Right? But, he, but Jacob here, as he's recounting it, gives it his former name. And he says, remember when God appeared to me at Luz, and when he appeared to me, he blessed me. And he said to me, I will make you f- fruitful and multiply, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you as an everlasting possession. Now, let's let's review here. What were the three promises that God made to Abraham as he made the Abrahamic covenant? Do you remember? You have my blessing, and you will have a nation, and you will have this land, right? And so, as Jacob is recounting this, he's saying... I am the one who inherited the promises that God gave to Abraham and gave to Isaac. He also made them to me at Luz as I saw God and the angels ascending and descending in this vision. There at the house of God, I saw that. And I was the one who received the covenant promise. And he says, now I'm going to pass the covenant promise, Joseph, on to you. Because it's mine to give. And he says, I'm going to take your two sons, and look how he names them. Ephraim and Manasseh. That's important. We're going to see why in just a second. Ephraim, the younger son, and Manasseh, the older son, shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Now, why does he mention Reuben and Simeon? Because Reuben and Simeon are Jacob's two oldest boys. Reuben is his firstborn through Leah, and then Simeon is the secondborn also through Leah. And these two boys are going to be adopted and given the same status as Reuben and Simeon. And in fact, they're going to displace Reuben and Simeon at the head of the family. He's going to say, I'm going to take your two boys and treat them as if they were mine, and they're going to be named among the tribes of Israel. So, as you read through the list of the tribes in the the history of the Old Testament from this point forward, you do not read about the tribe of Reuben and Simeon and Levi and all that. You read all that, but then you come down and you go, Well, where's Joseph? He's not mentioned. What you do read is the tribe of Ephraim and the tribe of Manasseh. Well, where did they come from? Well, they were Joseph's sons. They are Joseph's sons. And in adopting both of them, what is Jacob doing? He is giving him the rights of the firstborn to two shares of the inheritance. In other words, Jacob is anticipating that when you come into the land, we're not going to live in Egypt forever forever. But when you get out and you get into the land that God has promised, then each of your sons will get a share of the inheritance. And they will. Each of them will be given an allotment within the nation of Israel. And they will be counted among the twelve tribes. And he says, and they'll be called by the name of their brothers. In other words, it'll be... We're not going to count by the name of Joseph anymore. We're going to count Ephraim and Manasseh as among the 12 tribes. And they're going to get two shares, and they're going to get an inheritance. And the reason I'm going to do this, he mentions, he looks back here, and I think he gets a little sentimental, you know, the kind of the mists clear away for a minute, and he says, Remember your mother who died in Canaan on the way to bethlehem as we were traveling back from uh, from padan where i got her as a wife why are these sons the chosen sons because rachel was the chosen wife she was the one that jacob wanted initially she was the one that he worked 7 years to marry and then was tricked into marrying leah first and then had to go through that whole honeymoon with leah and then and then is able to marry Rachel at the end of that week, and then has his honeymoon with her, and then has to work another seven years in order to, to pay off the debt of marrying the wife that he wanted when he didn't want the one that he married first, right? I mean, how would that be, you know? Some of you all have probably at some point in your pagan past, woke up with somebody that you did not want to be? Only now that you're married to this person for the rest of your life. Right? That is Jacob's experience with Leah. And then he, he says, look, I'm giving you these shares because you were the son of Rachel, the woman I loved, the woman I never stopped loving. For my entire life, and she died on the way Canaan, uh, on the way through Canaan, on the way to Bethlehem. And I want you to be the firstborn son, even though you were not technically the firstborn. I'm going to make you the firstborn, and I'm going to give your sons two shares in the inheritance that I have now. Uh, let's co- let's continue on. When Rachel, when Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, "Who are these?" Joseph said to his father, "They are my sons, whose God has given me here." And he said, "Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them." Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and brought, and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, "I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also." And Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, Jacob has to be told who's in the room with him. He can't see. He doesn't recognize uh, who these guys are. He just kind of sees fuzzy shapes of these, these boys he has just adopted as sons. And when he's told who they are, he calls them to him, and he kisses them and hugs them, and he's still amazed 17 years later. Still amazed, 17 years later, that God has not only allowed him to see Joseph again, the son he was sure was dead, but that he's been allowed to see Joseph's sons. And once again, uh, Jacob bows down in the presence of Joseph. And this time, I think when he does that, he's doing it as an act of worship. Because I think he's praising God that, you know, I never imagined. That I would live to see this day when I'm in the presence of my son, who I thought was dead. And not only in the presence of my son, but my grandsons are here. And I never imagined that would happen. And so it's good to praise God for these unexpected blessings. Amen? Things that you didn't think were going to happen. An attitude of gratitude to God for what you did not expect. And to have relatively low expectations out of life is actually a really blessed thing. To be able to say to the Lord, you know, I don't deserve this and I don't deserve this. In fact, I don't deserve anything that you have allowed me to experience. And yet, because of your greatness and goodness and love for me, you have allowed me to experience things even beyond what I imagined. And Jacob is worshiping God, and and so Joseph says, "Okay, well, if you're going to adopt the boys, well, then I'd like you to put your blessing on them as well." And so Joseph lines the boys up in the appropriate way, so that Manasseh is in his left hand and Ephraim on his right hand, so that as he brings them up to the boys, to I mean, he brings the boys up to to Jacob, then. Uh, Manasseh, the oldest, is on Jacob's right, which is the hand of blessing. And Ephraim, the younger boy, is on the left, which is not regarded as the hand of blessing. And what Jacob does is sticks his hands like this. Puts his right hand on Ephraim's head, the younger boy, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, Elder boy. And he pronounces his blessing. And there's a threefold ad- address to God in this blessing that you ought to look, you ought to look at. Okay? He says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. In other words, the God of my fathers. I am continuing to worship the God that made covenant with my father Abraham and my father Isaac. I worship that God, not just any old God. He has been my shepherd all my life long. And that's an interesting way to describe that. My dad has recently become a shepherd. I just have to tell you that all the stories that you've heard are true. These are the stupidest animal on earth. Okay? They are literally too stupid to come in out of the rain. And... Uh, in fact, I helped to put hay out in the fields for them, and so forth. And you have to shoo them away from the field, from the the feeder, so that when the bale comes down off the hay spear, they don't get crushed underneath it. Right? Uh, I mean, I'm serious. I think if they, if they if they if breathing was not part of the autonomic nervous system, where they had to remember, half of them would suffocate. All right. <laughs> They are just not a smart animal, right? And how does God, how does Jacob refer to God? He says, he has been my shepherd. So what does that, mean? What does that make Jacob? A sheep, right? In other words, that God is the one who has led me and protected me. Okay? And there's, a lot, there's lots of things that consider sheep to be tasty, right? You've got to protect them from everything. You know, Dad has snared 21 coyotes this this year uh, trying to get into the sheep pens, right? Why? Because to a coyote, this is a mutton chop, right? And you've got to protect these things, right? And they're prone to wander off and to get lost and to get hung up in all kinds of stuff. And how has Jacob's life gone? He has wandered all over into all kinds of gotten himself into all kinds of problems and trouble and difficulty. And he says, God has been my shepherd. He has protected me. He has watched over me in spite of the fact that I'm not that smart. God has looked out for me. And he says, look here, he's also been the angel who redeemed me from all evil. In other words, God has, has turned around all my situations all the things that I messed up and screwed up on, and all the, all the catastrophe that my life has been. God has turned all of that around for me because He loves me, and He's gracious toward me, and He's in covenant with me. And He says, The God who did all that for me, pour out your blessing on the boys. This is a prayer. Bless these boys also. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my father Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. In other words, God, I've given them my blessing. I've given them everything I have. May you carry on your covenant with these boys the way you have with me. Now, that's a good blessing. Amen many of us could say God that you would be faithful to my child to my son to my daughter the way you have been faithful to me can you would you carry on your covenant with my children and my grandchildren the way that you have carried on your covenant with me that's what Jacob is praying That God, who has been unspeakably, indescribably gracious to him, would be gracious to his grandson as well. It's a good prayer. says, God, you've been there. You've pulled my bacon out of the fire more times than I can count. And you get an overview in this prayer at the end of Jacob's life as he's literally on his deathbed. Of Jacob's faith and his understanding of his own walk with God and what it's like. And he says, look, in spite of all my epic failures, you have been there for me. And you have have always protected, always preserved, always redeemed every screwed up thing that I did. You always turned it to my blessing and your glory. May you do that with these boys as well. Your grace has been with me all the way, all the way to the end. Let's read on. When Joseph saw his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. He took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also should become a people, and he also should be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I've given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Now, what happens here is that Joseph sees what's just happened, and he goes, wait a minute! Stop! I know your eyesight's bad, but you've got the wrong boys in the wrong order. You're supposed to bless... The firstborn more than the secondborn. you got the wrong hand on the wrong head. Now, interestingly, this is really ironic because who is Joseph, remember? He's about son number seven. (laughs) Okay. And yet, you know, God through Jacob is making him the firstborn, and he doesn't think there's a problem with that. But with reference to his own sons, he goes, Dad, you're not doing it right. And Jacob is so gracious, he says, son, I know, I know, I know. And he says, look, I'm doing this prophetically. God's spirit is within Jacob, and he says, I'm doing this prophetically because of what is going to happen in the future, this is not just the the rambling as of an old man. This 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 is a prophetic act. And Manasseh is going to be a great people too, but Ephraim is going to be the leader among the two of them. And he says, and in fact, in later generations, people will pronounce blessing on their sons By using the names of your sons and say, may you grow up to be as great as Ephraim and Manasseh. Because they do become the two leading tribes for a big chunk of the nation. In fact, when the nation is divided after King Solomon, the kingdom is divided in the north and the south. And Ephraim and Manasseh are the two leading tribes in that split. But there are great men among, the, among these two tribes. As an example, Joshua is an Ephraimite. He's the one who takes the people into the land and gives it to them. He's a descendant of Ephraim. The tribe of Manasseh spans both sides of the Jordan River. These, are, these, these two tribes become great people within their nation. But Ephraim is the leader. And he says, and, and the final thing that he does is he actually distributes the inheritance. Now, Jacob does not have very much. says, I'm going to give you this one little chunk of land that I have in the land of promise. Uh, and in doing that, it's interesting on a couple of levels. One, Jacob is... Re-underlining the fact that he believes that his descendants are not always going to remain in Egypt, right? Because the only way to claim your inheritance is to go back to the land that God promised. You have to leave to go take possession of it. You can't be an absentee landlord. But the other thing that's interesting here is he mentions this piece of land that I took from the Amorites, one mountain slope, it says in my translation, from the Amorites, with my sword and my bow. Now, the Amorites are Canaanites. That's just a general name for a certain Canaanite tribe is the Amorites. And you look at this and you go, look, I've been through the whole book of Genesis here, and I've never read where Jacob was in a battle where he took land from the Amorites. When did that happen? This is where a knowledge, a little knowledge at least, of Hebrew helps. The word that's translated mountain slope there is the word literally Shechem. And a lot of commentators feel that this is not a generalized name of a random place. That mountain slope over there. He's referring specifically to the city of Shechem near the well at Sychar, where Jesus met the woman at the well, generations later, where, if you remember, Simeon and Levi went through after, after Dinah was raped. They trapped on their swords and they went through the city and they killed all the men. That that city actually is the inheritance that he's talking about. And when he was referring to my sword and my bow, what he's doing is essentially co-opting the actions of his sons as his own. Because in a patriarchal society like that, whatever your family did, you were in some ways connected to. And so what was done by the sons is the responsibility of the father. And so if your sons conquered, so did you. Just as if a, if a you know, generals don't shoot, right? Uh, very few generals are issued a rifle in the military, right? Uh, all the front line guys go, and they're the ones who do all the, all the shooting and the hand-to-hand fighting and all that. But then when they win the battle, they go, well, gosh, that guy's a great general. And you go, he didn't fire the first round off. He didn't even get dirty. How is it he's the victorious general? Right? Because he's the leader. He's The, the people under him are responsible. He's responsible for it. In the same way, Jacob is taking responsibility for the actions of his sons. And in a certain way, the fact that they are able to take possession of this land from the Canaanites is fulfillment and is foreshadowing of what's going to happen later under Joshua right now what Simeon and Levi did was evil and it was not time yet in the plan of God for the Canaanites to be driven out of the land of Canaan because as God said to Abraham the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached his full measure but nevertheless Jacob looks at this action later with the benefit of hindsight and sees that through this through this evil act, God has redeemed it to this point to where now, when we go back in the land, this will be part of your inheritance. Now, if you want to learn all about the conquest of the land and all about how, how God is working in that to protect His people and to purify them, you ought to join Mark. Mark, shoot your hand up just so happens that we're going to study through the book of Joshua over the next few months with Mark during Sunday school. And he'll answer every question that you've ever had about the book of Joshua. <laughs> right? Maybe not every question. But it's a great class. You should get into it. But this is kind of the first down payment on the conquest of the land, Jacob is saying. Jacob is saying, my boys took part of this land, and now I'm giving it to you as your inheritance. And I'm not going to give it to them. I'm giving it to you. And you've got to go back to the land to go get it. But it's yours. And when they do go back into the land, that area is part of the tribal inheritance of Ephraim and Manasseh. A couple things here I think we need to see in this text. Because I think it's, more, it's about more than just the final bequests of an old man to his sons and his grandsons. I think it's primarily a text about faith, about trusting God to bring you all the way home. And about the fact that he is going to keep his promises not just to you, but to your descendants after you. Jacob knows he's dying, and he knows that the best thing he has to convey to, these, to his son and to his grandsons is the blessings of being in covenant with God. He says, to the extent I am able, I'm going to give you the best that I have. And primarily, that's connected to my relationship with God and the blessings of being in relationship with God. And you need to know God in the way that I have known God all of my life, these 147 years. Look at the text here. See how, see how again, how Jacob worships God and gives him praise. He says, look, this is the God who makes covenant. And who carries it through despite all my sheep-like tendencies to wander off. He's the God who protected me not on the basis of my righteousness but because God is a God who loves me and who had made covenant with me by His sovereign choice and based on His love which has been steadfast for me throughout my whole life. And Jacob worships and praises God because of the kind of God he is. And I think there's a lesson for there for us as well. Right? That God is still the same. He is still the God who chose you and me based on two things. His sovereign will and His love for you and me. And He is remaining in covenant with us, not on the basis of all that we do, right? That's one of the things a lot of people who claim to be Christian get very screwed up on. They think that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and was raised from the dead to bring them into a relationship with God, but the maintenance of that relationship is dependent on their behavior. That somehow I have to, I, I enter my relationship with God on the basis of grace through faith, but I maintain my relationship with God on the basis of being a good guy. And that is a lie. Because I'll just tell you flat, there aren't any good guys. Okay? There aren't any good girls either, just incidentally. All right? No such thing. We're all sinners. And we're all like Jacob. You know what the primary description of the people of God is in the, in the whole Bible, right? If you look at it all together, what are we? We are the sheep. We're the ones that wouldn't recognize God's will if He didn't make it clear. And even having it revealed to us is not a sufficient reason for most of us to obey it. We wander. Now, as the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, right? Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We ought to worship God on the basis of the fact that he is still the God who makes covenant. Still the God who is our shepherd to us. Still the God who is like an angel protecting us. From all the stuff that we get into and and if you look at the text what you see is that God's grace and his love brings about the unexpected right God does not work like we expect Jacob never expected to see Joseph alive again but he spent 17 years with him after a long absence. And he never expected to see Joseph have children. And yet Joseph has two sons that he adopts. God is a God of grace who, who cares about even making an old man's dreams come true. And in addition to that, what we see in the elevation of Ephraim over Manasseh is that God does not work like people expect. For the four generations, God has chosen the younger son over the older one. He is the one who ultimately determines what pathways people are going to walk and what results are going to come, and who knows how future people and their children are going to be even hundreds and thousands of years later. And so he works all things out with reference to his own plans and his own ideas and expects us to submit to him rather than the other way around. God is the God who, who does unexpected things. And finally, we ought to worship and know God, I think, also based on this text, as the God who redeems our sin and turns it into blessing. God sees his, the sin of his sons at Shechem as the down payment on possession of the promised land. And as I was looking at that, I, got, I thought, you know, that's just like the Lord. To take something that has been just the gigantic instrument of stumbling and sin and been a weight around us and caused us deep pain for a lot of our life, And to turn it into the very thing that is the instrument of blessing. And as I thought about that, I thought about this great scene in the C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. There's this great scene where there's this guy, and he's out on the outskirts of heaven. And and he has this little lizard that sits on his shoulder. And this his the lizard represents the man's lust. And it has been with him his entire life. And it sits on his ear. It sits right here on his shoulder and whispers in his ear, you know, all these things. And then, and he, you know, and then as, as, as the guy is about to go into heaven, this giant flaming angel comes up to the man. And he says, would you like to be free of that thing? Yes. And the guy kind of just assents to this happening. And this flaming angel reaches out and grabs that lizard and just crushes it. And it breaks its back, and he throws it on the ground. And then as it's kind of writhing around, dying, it is transformed before the reader's eyes into this giant, glossy, flaming, white stallion. And the man jumps on its back and rides off into the presence of God on this white stallion. And it's this beautiful image that Lewis paints of exactly this kind of scene, that God is a God who takes the deepest, nastiest, darkest, most shameful thing of which we Uh, are just embarrassed to admit and he transforms it into the instrument of blessing in our life and he allows it to be the thing that brings us into his presence and into his blessing because God is the God who is the God of redemption the God who takes our sin and uses it to bring us blessing and him glory So we need to be able to worship and praise God. Amen? I know we ate turkey until we couldn't hold anymore. I personally had my annual share of cornbread dressing. But Thanksgiving is not just once a year. It's every day as we realize that we are in covenant with God who loves us and redeems us. And transforms us and protects us and shepherds us. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the great God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, fear of Isaac, the God who makes covenant and keeps it. Though we wander, though we fall into sin, you redeem and transform and protect and perfect us all the way through our life until you bring us into your presence and father I pray that you would indeed continue to watch over us that you would be faithful to my children as you have been faithful to me that, that they might live under your blessing as I have that they might know you as I do and walk with you and to experience all the glory of a walk with God. Father, I pray for these who are here, who are parents and grandparents. I pray that they might see their children and grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren one day as they, we stand before the throne, walking in the faith that we have in you who have been faithful to us. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.